welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that doesn't know anything but representing a team in the Sweet 16. Couldn't imagine anything else. I am Jared Stormer of mazeandbrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, also of mazeandbrew.com, and my hetero life mate, Andy, you nefarious, glorious, victor, and valiant individual. How are you doing on this Wednesday evening? Sweet 16 week. Losing in the first round? First weekend? Don't know her. I'm doing great, brother. Things are turning up all Michigan. The fate of the Big Ten rested soundly on Hunter Dickinson's manly broad shoulders, and we delivered. So heading into a second week into the tournament feels feels a little sweeter this year, a little sweeter in the 16. It really does, man. We're not going to waste any time. We got a lot to talk about because we are still dancing, baby. And how sweet it is after that victory over LSU. We're going to get to that in detail. Uh, but first, let's kind of start with the big picture of this whole thing. A uh, little bit of a tournament recap here. Our, uh, let's start before the tournament even began with our close rivals in East Lansing who failed to make the tournament against UCLA. Uh, but credit to them. They have kind of just kept their mouth shut about that loss and not making the tournament. Yeah, they've been quiet, respectful. I mean, once again, we had to watch Tom Izzo act like a petulant child and almost seemingly try to fight a player on the way to halftime, which was strange and uncomfortable, but as is Tom Izzo's existence. So, but yeah, their fan base has been quiet, like understanding that, hey, you know, we're not advancing. We might have beaten Michigan once, but that doesn't mean we're co in the Sweet 16 together. I mean, I've never seen a more wound up leprechaun than Tom Izzo when his team's losing. The, the guy absolutely cannot keep it together. And yeah, this was maybe one of the worst Michigan State teams I can remember. So failed to reach the tournament. And man, what an easy path they would have had because UCLA now uh, was able to beat Abilene Christian in order to get into the Sweet 16. So that would have been a pretty easy march for them. Surely easier than what we had to, to march through to get there. Yeah, I, I forget who they played in the very first game in between State and Abilene, but I mean, again, pulled the upset there, and then you got ACU, which, you know, not known powerhouse, but you know, they're known around the mean streets of Abilene, that's about it, and could have been in the next round, and could be marching close to the sweet, the Elite Eight, I mean, March is supposed to be Tom Izzo time, well, I guess it was like back in 2010, but you know, they're at home, so it's okay. Yeah, it's been a while for them. A little stat that uh, Scott Bell posted that I really enjoyed was that Michigan now has more Sweet 16 appearances in the last four years than they have four. And that is more than Michigan State, Illinois, Ohio State, Maryland, Indiana, Wisconsin, Iowa, Nebraska, Northwestern, Penn State, Rutgers, and Minnesota combined. Combined. You know, I mean. What I, I that, that basketball school, right? I mean, that is sustained excellence. <laughs> it's not what you want, you know. You know, ideally, you think you want a little bit more than that than you know <laughs> two combined. And it's the sweet. It's just making it to the second weekend. This isn't like elite eight or final four appearances. Just the sweet sixteen. Like, can't be one of the sixteen best teams when it matters the most. Like, I don't know. It's very disappointing that the rest of the Big Ten is just very underwhelming. Like historically, at least. I mean, recent historic, recently historically. Yeah, and in going into this tournament, that's you know a lot of the talk here, um, and we will talk about some of those specific upsets. But if you look at the seeding, I mean, there were also Big Ten teams that advanced that weren't necessarily supposed to be there. So I think that the Big Ten is overrated chance 
um, or maybe a little overblown. Uh, Michigan was always the best team all year. Illinois was kind of just a trendy pick later on down the road when Michigan had already wrapped the thing up and they got a, a victory over us, but they never looked like the better all around team. And yeah, I just think the whole Big Ten thing, um, maybe just lumping everyone together is, is a mistake. And uh, the Pac-12, though, props to them for showing out. But uh, let's kind of recap the first round a little bit, at least on the Big Ten side, to kind of see uh, what we're looking at here. Yeah, the first round, you know, is full of surprises. We'll start with um, <laughs> one that shocked everybody was Ohio State lost to Oral Roberts. I, two seed to 15 seed. Two to 15 doesn't happen often, and Oral Roberts nope. has become the second 15 seed to ever make the Sweet 16. Just... Yeah, so they've gone on a bit of run. Uh, they also beat Florida after that, so I do enjoy that they probably really ruined Urban Meyer's weekend. You know, that feels so... – great point. That feels so nice to hear. Just Urban Meyer's tears just really bring joy to me. Yeah, so I'm sure that he was upset by that. So good for Oral Roberts. Couldn't tell you where it's at, who that is, and why he deserved a school named after him, but – they're in the Sweet 16 as well. Um, in the first round, number two, Iowa beat Grand Canyon in um, you know a game that was a little bit closer than it should have been. Maybe should have been a warning there. <clears throat> number 10, Maryland upset number seven, UConn. Number nine, Wisconsin upsets number eight, UNC. Illinois over Drexler, whatever. And then Rutgers, number 10 over number seven, Clemson. So that was actually three upsets of teams that weren't expected to advance that did. So let's let's just keep that in mind when we talk about the Big Ten really crapping the bed here. Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten has always been top-heavy, and some of the lower teams really stepped up in the first half, as you touched on, with Rutgers, Wisconsin, and Maryland. And, you know, not to forget that also in the first round, Michigan housed Texas Southern 82-66 in a game that that score does not show you how much of a blowout it was. Michigan was up by, I believe, as many as 24 or 26 during the game, and Texas Southern cut it to 12 with like three minutes to go, which against the 16 seed feels like a one-point win. But no, this game was out of hand and Michigan was just kind of coasting the last pretty much the whole second half. Yeah, the spread going into this one was 26 and a half when it started. I bet the under on that because that seemed high and that under ended up uh, dropping to closer to what it ended up being in the actual um, box score there. And, you know, Michigan came out of this one looking a little cold, which they've done in the past. They did it against LSU, and it doesn't really worry us at this point. Didn't worry me in this game. Guys started to settle in. You got a very balanced effort. Um, don't want to spend too much time on this game because it was a one versus a 16. It had to happen. Uh, leading scorer in this one was Mike Smith. Great game from him. He was about 50% from, uh, from the field in that one. Things changed in the next game for that one, but well-balanced game all around. And, uh, you know, it was good to see them start to get their legs under them in a good victory over a team uh, that had that guard. They had at least one guy that deserves a shot at the G League. Well, I believe it was Waters, I think, was his name. Uh, Walters, maybe? Wal I mean, this guy yeah, I mean, yeah. put some respect on it. That guy was good. He was, he was balling. He was good. His shorts, you know, were a little questionable. I didn't really get that. I mean, you're playing – Jawan Howard's on your court, and you're going to roll up your shorts. Son, show some damn respect. Like, See, fashion, fashion is cyclical. It all comes back around. The big shorts got way too big, and then you had, like, Sebastian Telfair, who was basically just, like, wearing two garbage bags and, on either and, leg. So they're, and, now we're just, and now we're just going back to diapers. Like, it just – I like the short shorts. I'm on team short shorts. Mobility, baby, out there prowling. If you put up, like, 24, you're good. Okay, I like, smart for LSU and, like, Jordan Poole short shorts, I'm here for. This guy had them rolled up like a cheerleader. That's – That's true. That's excessive. 
Yeah. I mean, no, it's, that's true. okay. So that was a little much, but this game for me, <laughs> the biggest indicator of Michigan coasting is the fact that Hunter Dickinson had two rebounds. Like, wow. Yeah. That is the most surprising thing about that entire game. Like, and leading re- rebounder was Franz and that with nine. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the team was coasting during this. Like it was just get ahead. Don't get hurt. Just be calm. Like, you don't take too much from these games. You'd like to see him crush him by 45 or something like Illinois pounded Drexel, like just put him into submission and beat him down. But then, you know, second round happens and you, you know, you kind of not in the tournament anymore. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, look, that's life for some teams, not us, but some teams. And, uh, you know, in that one, Franz, very, very balanced in that one. How about nine points, nine rebounds, six assists, uh, wasn't doing it offensively, and he was on a cold streak that stretched all the way back to Michigan State. Uh, we'll get to the LSU game where he started to break that a little bit, but found ways to really impact winning in this game, and we needed his his leadership in that, and really got the uh, you know got the troops organized and everything. And impressive game from him, but yeah, like you said, it's one versus sixteen. Had we have lost this, it would have just been a, a drastically different weekend for all of us, and we'd be. I don't know. I'd probably not be recording a podcast. I'd be at a bar somewhere about half a bottle of Jameson deep. So yeah, I'd be at least on like, yeah, I'd be like on bottle six, like about to go to the ER or something. If we'd lost to a 16 seed, it just would not have been good. But two things to take from this game that look, I mean, looking back hindsight's 2020 that Brandon Johns had a quiet 11 points and he showed how comfortable he was again, the following round and Eli Brooks shot was it 50% from three in this game? Three of six. Only made three shots, but they were all threes. So, but that that was a trend that we found out was going to keep going. Yeah, a little bit of a precursor. Uh, so to end the first round discussion here, the biggest takeaway was obviously number two, Ohio State losing to Oral Roberts. I think we're in agreement there. Yeah, I mean, Oral Roberts, come on. Come on. Come on. Ohio State had two guys in Liddell and Washington that we saw light Michigan up, and they were scoring in this game. Yeah. Uh, But open shot for, I think it was Liddell missed the last shot. Washington, wide open. Washington. Yeah, yeah. Washington missed the last shot in this one. And, I mean, that's brutal. I mean, that's a number two over a number 15. And it just goes to show you, if Michigan had lost number two to number 15, I mean, it would be on the front page of SportsCenter. I guarantee it. Just like it'd be the biggest story raining down on you. The good thing about tournament upsets like this is happening in the first round, two days later, the next round happens and all these games are continuous. So the news cycle is way more sped up than it normally is. So it kind of flushes it out. Unlike football, when you lose to like a big upset, like, you know, things that happened in 2007, they just get recycled week in and week out for years to come. Yeah, absolutely. And then Ohio State was also helped by the fact that two days later, Oral Roberts gets another upset over Florida. So Ohio State really escaping some of the uh, the vitriol of the Big Ten Twitterverse there on that. Um, and then other than that, um, you know, Rutgers, I thought was going to go on a little bigger run. But well, let, let's let's go ahead and talk uh, second round here. So we uh, we already talked about the scores of the first round. We go into the second round and uh, recap of that just from the Big Ten teams. Uh, number seven, Oregon took down Iowa, a very good Oregon team that I was pretty impressed with their pace and really found Iowa to be overrated. Like even when we played them, you know, everyone thought Luca Garza is this dominant player of the year, but he just, when you get up against more athletic guys, and I don't think that he does quite as much for you as you might think, especially defensively. Now Garza left a lot to be desired. I feel like he was honestly better as junior year when people weren't as prepared for the breakout. 
And no, just watch videos of him running. Like that's all you need to know about his athleticism and comfort on the court. Like he just runs like he just learned how to. It's very uncomfortable to watch. Like I feel like he's always going to get hurt, or like, I just don't know what's happening there. He had a huge game in their second round, but it was all garbage time. It didn't matter. Bohannon was over. This team just left a lot to be desired. Like you said, man, they were just a little overhyped. Not enough athleticism, not enough consistent scoring. Guards was a little a little soft at times, especially defensively, and it showed. Yeah, I was more taken uh, away, or the thing that I took away from this the most was that their defense. I mean, it was a track meet early on. And, you know, early on, Garza was scoring, and he had like 24 at the half. Mm-hmm. And it was still somewhat of a game. But there was no defense being played. It was layup lines. And I'm like, if this comes down to, you know, who's going to be able to score more often, like, give me give me Oregon in this. They're just more balanced. So uh, unfortunate for Luca Garza. Uh, you know, he cried pretty much every day for the last two weeks. Uh, every time that I saw him, whether it was his last Big Ten regular season game, last game at Iowa, Big Ten, last Big Ten tournament game, like last Thursday cried. game, <laughs> last Thursday game, you get like one or two good cries, like as a sports athlete and to make it cool. Like you can cry as much as you want, but Jordan <laughs> cried once and it was an epic, amazing cry. He used his cry well. If you want to cry all you want in your apartment, that's on you. It's college. I understand. Like it's just accepted. But you get a few good public cries. Like you don't want to be known as you're the guy that cries all the time. You just you just don't want that moniker following you around. I was, yeah, it was like, all right, so you already cried in the end of the regular season. Now you're crying at the end of the tournament. Like, all right, let's we get it. You're leaving Iowa. You were a big fan. I also spent four years at college. I moved on. <laughs> I know it meant a lot to me, too. Like next year, you're probably going to live in Croatia or something. And we understand that. Like th- those are worth the tears. But save that for your private life. Like you don't need to cry every time you said after the game, it was like a good 45 minute cry. Like it was from the time he checked out to time he faced questions he was still crying it's like fam like come on you i'll give you a hug like is that what you need like i mean you're probably gonna play some more basketball at some point here like it's gonna be all right you can come back to iowa and visit you could be a teacher if you want you could coach the team (laughs) dude nobody has ever loved iowa more than this guy kevin costner in the field of dreams did not love iowa more than luca garza Yeah, so, I mean, I was a little over Luca Garza, but now he and Bully Zerbiak get to spend their afternoons determining who has the more absurd eyebrows. So <laughs> I hope he doesn't come back under COVID rules one more year. <laughs> oh, my God, he could. But then all that crying would be even more absurd. You can't cry every day and then come back. Oh, man. Anyway, moving forward in the second round, uh, Bama took down Maryland. That wasn't too big of a surprise, but my takeaway from Bama is kind of what you were saying um, off air is like they're pretty one-dimensional. Feast or famine. I mean, they're chucking threes. Only 10% of their shots are not uh, layups or threes. Just only 10%. Like, they don't do any jumpers. Like, you guard the perimeter. You put Hunter Dickinson in the middle. Michigan matches up well. They're basically the Houston Rockets from two years ago. That's what they are. Yep, so a potential opponent, so keep an eye on them. Uh, Number one, Baylor beat Wisconsin. Wisconsin hung around for a little bit, but Baylor's just a machine. I think they're the best team that I can remember, I would say, in the last decade, probably the best college basketball team that I've seen. I I mean, legit, they've got four guys that are going to get NBA minutes. They're good. I wouldn't go that far. They're a solid team. They might be the second best team in this tournament. (laughs) But they're they're a stud team. I've seen them go up and down, though. But um, again, to your point earlier, this speaks to how much the regular season means more than conference tournaments. Baylor was the regular season champ of the Big 12, but didn't win the Big 12 conference tournament. Same with Michigan. 
So it just shows you the really true best team of each conference normally shows itself in the regular season. That's a very good point, which is why uh, A.O. Donsamu taking pictures like Kobe after getting the Big Ten tournament championship seemed a little overzealous. And segue, number eight Loyola, uh, with their best player being essentially a large version of Farva from Super Troopers, really dominated Illinois, like dominated them. Yeah. Like it, it actually wasn't even as close as the score indicated. It was it was a beatdown by Loyola. What's his name for Loyola, the stud? Oh, uh, oh gosh, I just had it brought up. Uh, if you can pull it up, real Cameron, quick. Cr- uh, Cameron Krutwig. Krutwig, yeah, yeah. I just call him Large Farva. That works. That works excellent as well. I mean, I knew exactly who you meant. But yeah, Cameron was a third team All American, not a slouch. Looks like he's forty five and should be working at a gas station and overcharges you for oil changes. But he is an outstanding player, and uh, I mean, you talk about giving it to Cockburn, just dominated in this game, ran them off the court. It just. It was satisfying. That's the word. Satisfying. Like, I mean, you want to root for your conference. Yeah, do well. Go team. No, no. no. This no. felt so good. No. no, that is not me. I've never been one of those guys. I don't care what outside people say about the Big Ten. I no. care about Michigan, and that's it. Um, I do care about Illinois randomly deciding that they wanted to, like, step up to Michigan this year and become our rival when we just don't really care. And their fans just being, I mean, just ignorant i mean ignorant seems they were just very overzealous i don't want to say ignorant like they were way too excited to be in this position like act like you've been here yeah well they haven't been in 15 years so (laughs) so they're still not there the sweet 16 drought lives on baby so i brought this point up off air they're still illinois fans are still clamoring that hey we beat you guys though that's what matters like santa clara beat the 05 north carolina championship team and you don't see people santa clara like you know what we're better than them. We are better than that team. It's like, no, it doesn't matter. I'm nobody cares. Like the people in Illinois are just hanging on to this for dear life. Like we did it. Mission accomplished. It's like, no, <laughs> no, you did not. Yeah. Uh, rough weekend for Kofi Coburn, um, Cockburn, excuse me. Um, I mean, cause he was an NBA draft prospect. And if you're getting tuned up by large Farva, like what's Nikola Jokic? gonna do to you like you're supposed to be a defensive center that was that was rough for him yeah and ao donsimu had what nine points kobe kobe had nine in this one i believe yeah i mean that's that's not gonna do it guys so this will be the last time i mention illinois because you're not worthy of our airtime um no no you're, you're really not just uh take a seat and know that uh you know enjoy your strongly worded letters your fake banners and you know your your wonderful victory over Drexel in the first round and we'll see you never. Yeah, make a sweet 16 and then we can, you know, start having a discussion here about Illinois being back and being a good basketball program again. But when Rutgers was closer to the second round or the sweet 16 than you were, let's let's stop the nonsense. Uh, the nonsense is over. Uh, last Big Ten game to discuss before we take a break and talk about the big one. Uh, number two, Houston over number 10, Rutgers. This was my upset pick. I had some money riding on this one, and it looked like easy money. Rutgers blew this one. Rutgers had this in the bag. <sighs> Rutgers, I believe, went 0 for their last, like, four or five possessions. Like, it just made no sense. The just collapse and just complete and utter incompetence they displayed in this. Like, felt bad for them. They just Houston's not that good. Houston, they're they're a fine team defensively, but offensively they leave a lot to be desired. And they just let them come back and snatch it from them. Just, I mean, 
They, oh my gosh, I couldn't believe it. Rutgers really snatched defeat out of the jaws of victory. Just blew it. <laughs> they really did. And we're going to talk about coaching a lot in the second half of this. And I put a lot of that on coaching because Rutgers with the lead and time dwindling, uh, you know, just they were way too early into trying to milk clock. You know, they were milking clock while there was still like three minutes left. And it's like, oh, in a college basketball game, that's an eternity. You know, you need to be up by 10 to be milking clock and just some poor coaching decisions down the stretch here. I think that they could have been taking it to the basket and just one on the free throw game to get out of this one in advance. They did not. And uh, because of that, Michigan stands alone. Uh, and we will talk about the game that got them there in detail right after this. All right. Welcome back to out of the blue in the second half of this podcast. We are starting off with that wonderful wonderful victory in the round of 32 against LSU and honestly it was a great great game I enjoyed the hell out of that and a well-rounded game that uh you know against a team that could have easily upset us we were talking about those guys Cameron Thomas smart they ended up being huge in that game but let's get into this man where do you want to start with this thrilling victory let's start off with who we're going to be remembering this game going forward about. This is the Eli Brooks game. You and I discussed this a little bit off air. Whose game was this? How are we going to remember it? And Shondi Brown's a trending choice because of what he did in the second half. But without Eli Brooks, Michigan loses by 12. I agree. Um, and obviously, because we came to consensus off air about this, um, it, there were other candidates. The Franz Wagner game, you could have even theoretically said Hunter Dickinson was big in this game. Brandon Johns had some great minutes. I mean, none of them really surpassed what Brooks and Brown were doing in this game, though. Um, and the reason I think that we went with Brooks is, like you said, it would have been ugly early. But also, Brooks been with the program for a while, went through a coaching change, undersized, never really looked at as a key building block on this team, um, kind of underrated by even us you know michigan sports media folk don't really talk about him we talk about livers wagner dickinson brown other guys you know the upcoming guys that are coming in so for him to come out and have that performance to shoot 50 percent from three in this tournament so far to keep us in the game when they were just they had flamethrowers that dude thomas was out of his mind in the, the outset of that game and they threw a punch and Literally, it was Eli Brooks punching back for us early on, at least offensively. So it's the Brooks game. Yeah, and Eli Brooks knows nothing except Sweet 16 and beyond. He's never been held below that in his Michigan career, and he wasn't about to go down without fighting in this game. Man, it has got to be so good to have guys with tournament experience. And I mean, having Livers, who's been to a championship, would be even better. But I mean, he's still there. He's still on the bench. He's still a part of this team. But Brooks on the floor in this game was amazing. So let's uh, let's kind of go through this, um, you know, as the game unfolded early on that shooting guard from LSU who will play in the NBA, Cameron Thomas, 6'4 guard, um, was out of his mind, like we were saying, but he was hitting shots that you and I were texting. We're like, those are about as difficult shots as you can make. Yeah, he was unconscious. Like, the defense was solid, but he didn't miss his first shot until, like, five or six minutes in. He was just a flamethrower. Just guys in his face, good defense, bodied up. He was hitting jumpers, fallaways, fadeaways, off the dribble, off the catch. I mean, Michigan did everything they could to contain him, which ended up being enough. But, man, that kid is special. He is special, and he'll go to the next level, like I said. But to be honest, when I saw that happening early on and him hitting at that ridiculous clip, I was encouraged. I think I texted you at one point when we were down like six, 
And I was like, yo, this is fine. You know, there was like four or five minutes left in the game. And I was like, I think we're okay with this because they are playing out of their mind. We're playing decent. Like I would not say that we played great in the first half Uh, defensively. Obviously that got ratcheted up in the second half. Um, and offensively, Wagner wasn't giving us what much. Uh, they weren't getting the ball into Dickinson very much in the first half. Mike Smith, tough game. So, I mean, he was he, he was having a tough first half as well. Um, but to be down only like six, four, and then claw your way back in after those first 10-minute barrage that we were getting from them, I was encouraged early on because there's no way you can shoot like that all game. No, and it continued for a while with their runners and floaters in the lane. They would just continually hit them, tough shot after tough shot. But what really brought us back in was just the change in tempo. Michigan was able to play up-tempo enough to keep the game close. And Juwan Howard, we'll talk about him extensively, just the way he called for them to speed it up at times and then to slow it down at times. Michigan could play several different tempos, but when Michigan slowed it down, LSU could not play half-court offense against Michigan or defense. Yeah, that's a great point. And early on, we were trying to get into a track meet with them and it was back and forth there. But we were talking about Iowa in the first half and they got into that track meet. That's not what we're built to do. I mean, I was not. I mean, there's only a couple teams that can really do that. Baylor, you know, if you want to get in a track meet with them, good luck. Gonzaga, kind of the same deal. But we're not built for that. We wanted to slow it down. So we, we kept up with them a little bit. They started to pull away with that track meet pace. And uh, Jawan Howard takes a timeout. We come out of, we start playing a little bit more zone, start trying to control the ball a little more, take the full 30 seconds or, you know, and still get a quality shot. And, uh, you know, the, the pace of the game changed and we started to claw back into it. Yeah. And the ball moved a lot on offense. Like Eli Brooks kept the team in it, but everybody was making contributions. Brandon Johns had the first four points. Dickinson started getting fed the ball more. And this is the best I've ever seen Hunter Dickinson pass out of the post. That had to have been an emphasis heading into the tournament in this game, especially that when you get the double, get the ball up there, you're bigger than everybody and just look for the open man because it's going to happen. And even if you can't just get to the complete opening, get it to someone where they can swing it, which set up several points in the second half. Yeah, he was doing some dirty work in the first half, uh, wasn't really showing up on the scoreboard and importantly, did not get into foul trouble in that first half. Uh, and, you know, we'll talk about the second half when the time comes. But at halftime, you texted me, you said, uh, pretty impressed with the officiating so far in this. They're mostly keeping the whistle in their pocket. So just a little uh, <laughs> prelude to what we're going to talk about in the second half. Um, but also, let's not before we uh, move on, let's not forget about Brandon Johns. Yeah. He was like the first four points came in and he's really the guy that they're looking to fill a lot of livers minutes and provide some size there, some good rebounding, some good energy. He was getting up and, you know, I texted you, I think said, man, if he was only a little more athletic. And then just right after that, I think he like hits a three and gets a block or something. That or no, block like, on Cameron Thomas was yeah. huge. Yeah. And I was like, all right, well, I'll just shut up. Cause this dude's <laughs> here for it right now in this tournament. So Brandon Johns, uh, great minutes from him that we're, we're going to need to see more of that. The thing I liked most about Johns, and we've discussed this, is that he just looked like he belonged on the court. He looked comfortable with the starters, and that's something he hasn't looked like all season. So for him to take that next jump now was critical, and he did that. Yeah, and we're going to need it moving forward. And uh, the half ends on a run from Michigan, uh, led by Eli Brooks, Shonda Brown. Uh, Shonda Brown started to get hot there. Uh, at the end of the first half and really continued into the second half. But it was Brooks mostly in that first half, especially from long range. He was super efficient in this. And uh, yeah, go to the half up one after being down, you know, for most of that first half. I mean, I think our first lead was when we were up 2 nothing, and then didn't lead again until 
you know, late, late in the first period. Which is crazy. I mean, and this was a back and forth game of LSU going up six, seven, eight points, Michigan clawing back with a three ball. So like I said, at halftime, the fact that Michigan was up one, taking LSU's like powerhouse shots felt very encouraging heading into the second half. Yeah, I felt good, honestly. I mean, despite the fact that they were shooting like that, because like we were saying, like there's no way they can shoot like that contested. I mean, guys in the NBA don't hit that kind of clip contested. So there was no they were going to continue. Uh, before we get to the second half, need to take a moment, would love to take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Homefield Apparel. We've been with them now for a while. Started when we were in COVID era, so we've been through the, the bad times together. These cats are out of Indianapolis, and uh, they put out just one of my favorite clothing lines for sports right now uh, not rocking the hoodie again tonight uh, and that is my mistake I apologize I will wear it next time but I'm kind of saving it because we got a game coming up but they've got you covered on t-shirts hoodies old school new school designs a great great selection all the schools that you could want but let's be honest you're here for the Michigan apparel so you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB when you go to check out at homefield apparel with two p's one l.com all right, so second half of this game, Michigan comes out and looked like a different team defensively. Uh, Juwan Howard, let's kind of talk. I think now would be a great time to talk about him, about the rotations we saw and the move to the zone a little bit more, which you saw a little bit in the first half. Yeah, Michigan played a pretty tight rotation. I believe six guys played big minutes, and then the other two, let me pull it up to double check. Uh, Terrence Williams, Austin Davis, where you're, you're and Sean Day Brown, where you're yeah. big bench players. Six, six guys played 27 or more minutes. Williams and Davis only played nine. A very tight bench in this game. Very tight rotation. No Zeb Jackson. And it worked. Jawan Howard knew exactly what he was doing. He had all the right strings to pull. All the substitutions and stuff were great. You and I were discussing that the Eli Brooks, Sean Day Brown guard combo was was flame throwing from three, but also defensively, they could switch really well on Smart and Cameron Thomas. Worked out really well for them. The defenses from man to man to two three to a brief like three two weird hybrid. The presses, the way they broke the press with they they drew up plays, the after timeouts. This was one of the best coach games I've ever seen in Michigan basketball history, and I don't say that lightly. No, I agree with you. I think this is Jawan Howard's coaching masterpiece. This was a tough, tough matchup. We talked about how LSU was going to present some trouble, especially because Mike Smith's going to really struggle to score against these guards. And we'll talk about Florida State in a minute about that. But uh, I also want to talk about a little more about something you mentioned with that lineup that we that you mentioned there with Eli Brooks at the one Brown at the two uh, Franz at the three Johns at the four and then Dickinson at the five that right now, I think is Michigan's best tournament lineup going forward with a lot of the size we're going to see at the guard positions. I love Mike Smith. He is, he's a great basketball player, but being five ten and giving up potentially seven inches, which are going to be given up to your, to Michael uh, MJ Walker on Florida state is it's just a problem. I mean, it's not a problem that you can really do anything about, you know, he's the fastest guy on the court, but in tournament play, he's going to struggle to get his shots. So that lineup for Michigan, I thought was extremely productive. Uh, it's very tough defensively, especially with Johns taking it up a level and Dickinson taking it up a level defensively. We know what we're getting from Brooks and Wagner. So, uh, and Brown for that matter, Brown's a tremendous perimeter defender. So that's a tough, tough, li tough lineup. And I think we'll see more of it. I, I really do. I really hope so. 
And this team did something that the 2018 team that went to the national title game didn't do. The 2018 team peaked around the same time as this team in February area, did go on to win the Big Ten tournament, but never never hit their A game in the NCAA tournament. If you remember, just got Houston on the buzzer beater and next rounds and just never really played their best, but they kept winning. And that was very impressive. This team looks like they did when they were the best all season. They did it without Isaiah Livers, which is insane to me. So the fact that they can reach this level again, they didn't just sputter out like so many Big Ten teams and Big 12 teams did. They're back up to that level. Makes me feel very optimistic moving forward. And again, credit to Juwan Howard for getting the team to just find that within themselves because we haven't seen the team this good since the first Ohio State game. I mean, this is as good as they've looked all season. Yeah, the, well, I don't know. Yeah, there were some blowout games against Iowa, Minnesota, yeah, with Minnesota, Wisconsin, ranked opponents that we really blew out. But I mean, they ended up kind of fizzling out as teams. And this was a good LSU team with NBA prospects on it, and we were missing one of our NBA prospects. And I mean, just smartly played. Never really panicked in this game. Um, in the second half there, it was it was Sean Day Brown. It was the defensive adjustments like you were talking about. And late in the game, it was Franz Wagner, who, when he locks in, looks like the best player on the floor on almost any given night. I mean, we're going up against the Cat in Florida State, who we'll talk about here in a minute, that's going to go higher than him in the draft, possibly. But when Franz Wagner's locked in like he was for the last 10 minutes of that game, he flashes, and he dominated on both sides of the court and man, was that a relief to see because he's got to realize he's the dude on this team moving forward. It's not Hunter Dickinson as much as everyone loves him and I love him and you love him. It's Franz Wagner who's got to be the dude, I think. Yeah, because Franz Wagner can play, make, and create for others as well as score. And he can handle the ball and do a lot of things for this team that we're going to need him to do moving forward. And it's interesting that he was kind of the heater down the stretch and it was the upperclassmen that got him there. It was the Eli Brooks and the Shawnee Brown, the guys that have been around this sport for several years now. Like we're fine. This is the NCAA tournament supposed to be tough, not supposed to be easy anymore because it's a good quality opponent. So for everybody in the starting lineup or even the top six to have a moment in this game bodes really well for the sweet 16. It really does. Uh, what's your, do you have a play of the game for this one or maybe a, a critical stretch of the game? Player of the game, we both agree, Brooks, we'll, we'll say. Eli yeah, Brooks. Brooks is player of the game. My my favorite play was Michigan's down um, 51-45. Mike Smith hits a big three, so credit to him for getting back in there. That's not my play, though. It's the next one. Michigan comes right back down. Dickinson catches it, swings it to Sean Day, swings it to Smith, swings it to Brooks, three, tie the game. Yeah, patient, patient movement with the ball. Um, I didn't rewatch it again today. I went back and watched some Florida State highlights as well. But for me, it was a play late in the game, very late in the game when they they had clawed back. I think uh, Mike Smith had just turned it over with a like an inexcusable travel call that I was very surprised they caught. Oh, before we move forward, we have to talk about the fact that there were 37 fouls in this game. And I think that both teams, if you talk to either fan base, would say the second half was outlandishly officiated. It, and it, it was crazy in the second half. It was like a different crew came in. The first half was so well officiated. Like they had the Cameron Thomas kick his leg out foul. I mean, he did. He that was BS, but he brought it on. Good by him. Veteran shot, whatever. But the second half was just like foul, foul. And it was like in waves. Like the first five minutes were all on Michigan. The next five minutes were all on LSU. It just made no sense to me. There was no consistency in the second half. 
no whatsoever and they were all makeup calls they'd be like oh that was a really bad call we just made on fsu we better do one on michigan yeah. like, you know, like all right, why don't you just not call any of these bad calls and let's play the game yeah and move it, this forward but yeah just regardless the fact there was 37 fouls called blows me away because in the first half they were maybe like 13 or something but not, not even that 12. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was 12 yeah so it should have ended somewhere around 24 25 fouls and it got to 37 so that was crazy um but anyway um after that travel like and it looked they get to within six franz wagner gets a block or he didn't quite get the block i don't think he was credited with the block but he was out of control on defense on the drive from smart who had been killing us in the lane all day drives it back down gets inside franz wagner gets a bucket gets all pumped up the, the announcer says Franz will pump you up. That was, I think that was that moment. That was all that sequence late in the game. Michigan never looked back after that. Franz was the, I mean, he put him down, put him down at the end of this game with the, the runner off the glass, the dunk, the putback, the defense. The three hit the three late. Hit only, the three. He, he's only two of eight so far from downtown in this tournament. Um, odds say that he'll improve. Law of averages has to kick in eventually. So, man, it was good. It was just a, like I said, just a good game, like a fun one to watch. LSU is a quality opponent. Their guards, Smart and Thomas, are just studs and just gave issues. They played their best, one of their best games all season, their isolation scoring strategy. But, you know, in college basketball, you need more than two guys sometimes, especially when Juwan Howard's strategy is take the legs off the guys playing 80 minutes in two games. <laughs> Very good point. And his rotation, which we were wondering, man, why aren't we seeing more Zeb Jackson or why aren't we seeing more of that rotation you and I like um, with, you know, maybe Franz Wagner, you know, running mm -hmm. a little bit of point. He could do it. I'm just putting that out there. would love to see that a little more. Uh, but he had a plan, clearly keeping his guys fresh against Thomas, who was exhausted by the end of that. Yeah, I mean, the kid gave everything he had, but I mean, just got worn down. Like, the minutes, the way Jawan distributed them were brilliant. Uh, Wagner played the most, and he played 33. So just nobody was playing way too much. No 40-minute games right now. It's the first weekend. Like, it's not needed. Right, absolutely. All right, next up in the Sweet 16 on Sunday at 5 p.m. Eastern time, back in Indianapolis, we got Florida State, the number four seed team that we have seen on the football field and in the tournament before recently here. And, you know, this is a good Florida state team. We are in the bracket where it doesn't seem to get easier. Whereas, you know, some brackets they're they're facing, you know, Loyola or Oral Roberts or Abilene Christian. This, this is an extremely good Florida state team we got coming on Sunday. And uh, I don't know, I'm excited for this game, but at the same time we need to be ready because this team's got talent up and down the board and size. Florida State's size and athleticism has become a staple there under Leonard Hamilton. They're a well-coached team. They're a physical team. Don't always have the most skill, but they get a lot out of their players. I mean, they get players like Jonathan Isaac and certain people like that that come through, but not always the you know highest skilled, just crazy good athletes. They're going to play hard defense. They're going to make this game ugly, and they're big. They are a big team all around the board. No one stud, but any guy on this team is liable to go off for, you know, 18 points, which is a big deal for them when their leading scorer only averages just below 13. They do have a stud. It's Scotty Barnes, the one and done. That'll be a top 10 pick. Um, this will be the first guy that we're facing that's probably a higher NBA prospect than Wagner. So for what it's worth, there might be times where, you know, I was saying earlier, you see, and it's like, oh, that's the best guy on the floor. There's going to be times Barnes looks like the best guy on the floor. This kid is crazy athletic 
but he's just a freshman and his averages are pretty pedestrian. Um, we've got all their averages pulled up and like their leading scorer averages 12.3 points per game. And that's their senior guard, MJ Walker, who is six, four, six, five ish, which will be a problem. But the guy shoots 44% from the field. So he's not some sort of flamethrower and that's their leading score. A lot of this offense runs through him. He's not some offensive juggernaut. He's going to have the ball in his hands a lot. Um, and they they also like to play at a slower pace. I mean, they, they want to slow this thing down, too. They don't want to track meet like LSU where they can just let their flamethrowers cook. You know, they want to battle down low. They want to win rebounding battles. But they're not a particularly good rebounding team either. So it'll be interesting to see. And you brought this up. So I want to give credit to you for this point. What can Jawan Howard do with a week to prepare for this team, which does have flaws that Michigan can exploit? makes me feel so much better. You have a week to get ready for this one because other teams like you want more time and it's tough in the tournament because, you know, you catch them on two days and got to prepare. And what he did with two days, he and Phil Martelli and the coaching staff, what they did on two days for LSU with all the changes and adjustments is unbelievable. So now they have a week for this Florida state team. And another point I want to make about them, Florida state is a good team, but haven't really gotten to see their peak. Their first round game was against UNC Greensboro They pulled away and won by 10, but it was a very competitive game, a very competitive game. And in the second round, they played Colorado, who was hot. They beat him 71-53 handedly. But for context, that was the same day as the tragic Boulder shooting. These kids were not thinking about basketball at that time. This is not an accurate barometer of how good the Colorado team is, and you can't put much weight into that victory. Those kids had something else on their mind, so... How good is this Florida State team? That's what I want to know. And I think the level of competition, the jump from a disinterested Colorado team and UNC Greensboro to Michigan is going to be a big punch in the face for them for the first 10 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. And want to take a moment uh, here and apologize if this is too serious, but you know, being a CU graduate and watching that game also, both the Florida State and the Michigan game were happening as we were waiting for the victims to be announced. And I can tell you, I couldn't really fully enjoy the Michigan game. Boulder's a small community. We all know each other. I ended up knowing two of the victims and know, you know, just through friends of friends, everybody knows everybody there. So I can only imagine trying to play a game with that on your shoulders. So yeah, I'm not going to judge CU for that post game. All they wanted to talk about was the victims there. So um, our hearts certainly go out to, to all the victims and their families of that terrible tragedy in Boulder certainly uh, hits close to my heart and my Boulder family. Um, but moving moving forward from that, CU was a good team, and it was kind of a it was described as a rock fight of a game early on. It was not a very pretty contest early on between Florida State and Colorado. And Florida State does a lot of that, where they kind of win ugly a lot of times. Now you'll see them put up ninety points a game sometimes, but that's usually done. They do a lot of their damage from inside. This is not a great three point shooting team. They're not necessarily a great rebounding team. They're an athletic team with size, with a, a senior smart guard um, and and just a lot of athletes everywhere that can out-athlete you. And that can happen to Michigan. You could get out-athleted. Like Brandon Johns is going to be battling with guys that are much more athletic than them. But Michigan is a better team. And I think that week off with Jawan Howard on top of this, finding ways to attack them, finding ways to get Franz Wagner involved. Uh, they do have a seven-foot-one center. Yep. Um, that is, I was pretty impressed with against Colorado, and he's going to be a problem. Dickinson's going to have to stay out of foul trouble in this. I think that'll be key. But well, I think you made the best point of the whole whole night. It's a week to prepare for this team, and I was more scared of LSU personally. 
Yeah, I was way more scared of LSU, just what they could do with their guards and everything. And this is kind of similar to the 2018 matchup when Michigan played Florida State. I believe it was in the Elite Eight that year. And Michigan won 58-54 in an ugly game. They led by one at halftime, 27-26. to And not pretty. No one played super great in that game. Isaiah Livers had two points. Like, Charles Matthews was the leading scorer with 17. It was a very scrappy kind of battle. I expect something similar. I think this team is better. But Florida State has really shown two sides to their team this year. They can be good and get out, I mean, athleted up and get in rock fights and take teams down. But they can also really struggle with that if the other team is clicking. Like, they lost to Notre Dame, who was terrible this season. They lost to Georgia Tech. Not a good team this year. Just, they can go very up and down. So if the rock fight's not going in their favor, and if Michigan's skill and rebounding picks up, the more I look into this, the more this matchup favors Michigan. Because what... Florida State likes to do in games, Michigan likes to do, except they do it better and more consistently. Right. Absolutely. And if, and Florida State probably does want a 58 54 game, they think that would favor them here, but Michigan can still win those games. They got seniors, they got guys that have been there, guys that can make a big shot. They're better free throw shooting team. This is not a very good free throw shooting team, this Florida State team. So keep that in mind if this comes down to free throws late in the game. We got them by a large margin there. And, yeah, like they're, they're going to want to play a similar game to what we're playing. And I just, I trust us down the stretch. They certainly don't want to get into a game that's like an 80 point game, like 80 point aside game. They don't want that. They don't quite have the scores to keep up with us. And granted, we have guys that I'm a little worried about. Sean Day Brown, we've, you know, notoriously said is notoriously hot and cold. Um, and he was hot last game. So we'll see what we get from this game. And Eli Brooks does not shoot at that clip normally. So those guys could easily come back to earth. The good news is Franz Wagner shoots much better than he has. And he's been in a slump since the end of the Michigan State game. And I saw him coming out of that in the end of that last game. And that encourages me. I think that's going to be the guy this game. And granted, he's going up against tough forwards and size in this one. So getting inside is going to be tough. But like I said, he's been hitting at a 25% clip from three. He generally hits at like a 35% clip from three. So expect that to go up and expect him to be a little bit more effective from three-point range in this game. Everything, like you said, when it comes down to it, the law of averages will kick in for all positions. But as Franz goes up, Hunter Dickinson will also come up. Mike Smith will raise up. And some of the other guys will come back to earth. Like in the first game against Texas Southern, Shonda Brown had zero points. Mike Smith had, I believe, 18 and six and was awesome. And then in the ne- next game, uh, Mike Smith had five points and Shonda Brown had 21 points. Uh, so yeah, it's going to go up and down like that. But Michigan has enough guys where it can balance out. They can keep subbing guys in. And Florida State's going to be similar. They're going to have a deep bench. They're going to play a lot of people as well. But Michigan does what they do. They just do it a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, I love that you've talked me into this. All right, real quick. How does this game go down? Give me an important matchup that you're watching, and then give me a score. Comes out, Michigan comes out hard. I'm expecting something like 12 to 4, just really punches them in the mouth, really comes out. They're going to come back. They're going to get into this. It's going to be four or five-point game at half, Michigan with the lead. And in the second half, I believe about eight minutes ago, Michigan's going to put together a run like they did against LSU, just hit like three threes or an and one and a couple threes in there, stretch the lead, go up by like 11 or 12, something like that. And it gets close down to maybe seven at the end, but I'm taking Michigan 71 to 64. 
and I believe a matchup to watch will be Franz Wagner and was it the Barnes freshman kid? Barnes, yeah, yeah. That's that's going to be one to watch. They they list Barnes as a guard, but he's going to play kind of the combo guard in the two three area, and I think it's going to be a little personal for Franz. Like make a statement here, but also anytime there's another big man on the team with some hype, Hunter Dickinson teams to take it personally, and ever since he kind of got. Kofi Cockburn kind of got the best of him. He's kind of been mad about that. So I really expect a, this could be a big Hunter Dickinson game. Look, every game, our plan should be for it to be a big Hunter Dickinson game. That, I mean, that's our advantage every game. They do have a seven footer. He's not quite as talented, but he is talented. So I am worried about him battling down low. I'm worried about foul trouble, but I'm watching the guards. I'm not going to go too much into how the game plays out because I see it the exact same way, brother. I got it 69, 61, Michigan. Um, but I will say the matchup that I'm watching is once again, the guards, Mike Smith at five ten and Eli Brooks at six, one against their six, four, six, five, six, six guards. I mean, you, you just mentioned earlier, they have Barnes listed as a guard. He's six, nine. Uh, that's preposterous. I mean, he's going to move around a lot, but if Mike Smith has to try and drive on a six, nine guy, it's just not going to happen. He's going to have trouble with six, four. So I'm interested to see if we can get any sort of production offensively out of Mike Smith. I think that that's going to be a huge boon because I expect this to be the Wagner Dickinson game, which it should be the rest of the way. I mean, we got to lean on them. And uh, I mean, Eli Brooks, I'm not going to sit here and discount him after what we just saw from him. So if we can get even half of what we got from Brooks and Brown in that, if they can put up 11 apiece, I think we're in great shape in this. And I think Florida State is a more difficult matchup for Michigan than Alabama is who presumably if they win their game, Michigan would play them in the Elite Eight. So if Michigan can get it done against Florida State, against this scrappy, hard-fought team, Leonard Hamilton's a great head coach, I think they can handle Alabama because Alabama's just going to chuck threes. And that just – Michigan so, guards so well on the perimeter. Hunter Dickinson inside locks that down. And also, let's just hold out a percentage of hope that maybe Isaiah Livers is around. I just want to hear like a whisper of it. Can you imagine how exciting that would get just to be like, hey – he doesn't have a boot on. I'd be like, what? What did you say? Isaiah, if Isaiah Livers hits a three, we're not losing any game. If he just comes out and hits his first shot, I will go bananas. Oh, my God. I will just – I won't do a podcast anymore. There will be no point. My life will have reached its apex. I thought my life peaked in eighth grade, but if Isaiah Livers hits a three, it will have peaked then. <laughs> That's depressing, but also at the same time. All right, I got a quick superlative for you. I know we're going long on this one, but – uh, Juwan Howard, not quitting, still on the recruiting trail. The transfer portal has been filled up and there's already talks. I need you to pick one of these guys. The doc is open there. You can, you can pick Marcus Carr, the shooting guard from Minnesota transferring out after a uh, new head coach comes in six, two shooting guard, absolute bucket, a point guard named fats Russell <laughs> from Rhode Island. He's only five ten now. Walker Kessler, five-star, get another 7-1 guy to come into this roster next year. Underutilized, was coming on for UNC, though. Two 7-1 guys, five-stars. Or the wild card, Michigan women's basketball forward, Nas Hillman, as the Michigan Wolverine female team also advanced to the Sweet 16. It is great to be a Wolverine, and Nas Hillman is. I, I was watching her. She is amazing. She's 6-2. I don't know. You bring her in. Maybe maybe she takes Mike Smith's minutes at the one. I'm just saying. I mean, she can rebound. Her assist totals worry me at the one. I like where your head's at. Um, just going to ignore that. Uh, <laughs> what? I, I love Nat Hillman. She's great. 
she, she's fantastic. She has another team to lead. We need somebody else on this one. She's handling that one. This is for next year. This is the transfer portal. <laughs> These are all transfer portal targets. Marcus Carr. We need a bigger, <laughs> we need a bit, as much as I want somebody named Fats Russell on this team, it would be fun to have somebody with that name. Don't need another undersized guard. Fats Russell averaged almost 20 points in Big Ten play. Can play with a better team, add some size to the guard position. We don't need another 7-1 guy. Like, we're okay. <laughs> don't need a woman. It's fine, too. She's leading her own team. Uh, I don't know, man. She's good. I think she could get buckets in the tourney. I'm just saying. Uh, yeah, I don't know that we need another 7-1 guy. That's ridiculous for the rotation. But Marcus Carr or Naz Hillman in this rotation? <laughs> Six two forward playing the one body and people. She plays like Kyle Lowry. <laughs> or, or you just get the whole team back together because of COVID rules. Everybody comes back, including Isaiah That's Livers. True. That's true. All right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, this was fun, my friend. I really enjoyed talking about this. It is so exciting to be in March with a team playing, you know, and have this high of expectations. And this has become now kind of like what we expect to see at Michigan. This is the pedigree. And it's been really, really fun to be following Michigan during these runs, man. It's it's a lot of fun. This is one of my favorite teams already. Uh, this It's a lot of fun, man. To see him come back into form feels so good. Such for players like Shondi Brown, never got experienced this at Wake Forest. Mike Smith was a bucket at Columbia last year, who's one of the few transfers that his academics actually went got easier for him coming here. And it's so much fun to see. It's so nice not to be a Big Ten team that was eliminated in the first weekend. You know, can't relate to that. And, uh, you know, as much as I love the Sweet 16, we do have to share it as co-Sweet 16 teams with Illinois. You know, we couldn't have done this without you all. Like, credit to you guys. Hang a banner. Write a letter. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your strongly worded letter. It was what drove us to this great height. Thank you. We're going to take pictures like Kobe Bryant holding our podcast mic, crying over this if we win this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, our next podcast, we will either be in the final four or we'll be out of this thing. So God willing, we are still talking about a Michigan run after this. It's not implausible. Like I, like we were saying, it is. it doesn't line up great. I'd much rather have Gonzaga's path, but I, our path is doable, even without livers, and that's crazy to say. If we're talking basketball next week, brother, more than likely we're going to be previewing a Gonzaga game. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Makes me, yeah. it'll we'll we'll find a way to talk ourselves into it because there's no way in hell I'm picking against Michigan in the final four in any scenario. But uh, no. that will be a, a a tough one. Yeah, let's just <laughs> uh, you know let's let's worry about Florida State first. Uh, not like our worry will have any outcome on the game, but that's where I need to be mentally because I'm already having a heart attack about this one. Yeah, I was sweating just sitting there watching the LSU game. So it's just going to get worse because basketball's stupid. It can swing on one dumb shot. So. Yeah, yeah, it's much crazier than football. Like, it really is. Football, is it seems slow in comparison when you watch these basketball games and how quickly things change. Like, my nightmare was Michigan pulls ahead by one and Cameron Thomas has the ball. And I'm like, they're, they're going to win. No. Please yeah. no. Yeah, yeah, because that's not – yeah, we don't have anybody that is like that on our team. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't have a Cam Thomas, but we got everything else except yeah. the livers. And, and we, and we got to win. Yeah, and we got to win. So, uh, you know, take that L, Cam Thomas, and take it to the draft and make millions and be a great NBA player because I had a ton of respect for the kid, to be honest. Yeah. See, he had the short shorts on too, but it was appropriate. They more weren't respect. rolled up. Yeah. Right. More, yeah, more appropriate for American television. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>
All right. All right, brother. That's going to do it for us tonight on Out of the Blue. Uh, Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether that be Apple Music, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Follow us on Twitter at Maze Brew. I am Jared. That is Andy. This has been Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go.